The old man himself was sitting there, staring straight at her. Oh, I'm sorry, sir, she began as she backed away. I didn't realise you was in here. He said nothing. He merely gazed at her out of his pale, washed-out hazel eyes. I thought there might be something amiss, sir, she explained. When I saw the door open a crack, sir, I mean... We didn't think he would do home till tonight, sir. He continued to stare at her. Maisie stopped. She realised he hadn't so much as blinked. She walked back across the room and knelt right in front of him. He didn't move a muscle. She waved her hand in front of his eyes. He didn't blink. Relieved, she sighed. At least he wouldn't be running to Mr. Frommer telling tales now. Oh, Blight has kicked off, she murmured. Death was no stranger to Maisie. She'd bury both her parents and three brothers by the time she was fourteen. Matter-of-factly, she reached over to close Mr. Ashbury's eyes. Not because she liked him, but out of respect for the dead in general. As she touched him, he toppled to one side. It was only then that Maisie saw the blood on the back of the chair and the gaping hole in the side of the man's skull. Looks like the poor bloke didn't know what hit him, Constable Barnes said to Inspector Witherspoon. Shot directly in the side of the head. He clucked his tongue sympathetically. The constable was a tall, craggy-faced man with iron-grey hair beneath his policeman's helmet. Inspector Gerald Witherspoon suppressed a shudder. If he could have managed it, he'd have avoided examining the body altogether, but as it was a necessary part of the investigation, he steeled himself to do his duty. It doesn't appear as if the man put up a struggle, he replied. He swallowed heavily as he gently moved the victim's head to one side. Witherspoon was no expert on gunshot wounds, but even he could see that the weapon had been fired at close range. Very close range. No, Barnes agreed. He didn't struggle. Just sat here like a lamb to the slaughter and let the killer do his worst. Perhaps he didn't see it coming, Witherspoon suggested. Barnes nodded in agreement. Could be the killer come up on his blind side, sir. With these kind of chairs, he tapped the heavy side padding. You can't see a ruddy thing unless you stick your head out. Yes, I expect the killer was counting on that. Gerald Witherspoon was a tall, robust man with thinning, dark brown hair and a neatly trimmed moustache. He had a long, angular face with a sharp, rather pointed nose, and behind his spectacles clear blue-gray eyes. Most people don't generally sit calmly and wait for someone to put a bullet in their head. Not if they see it first, that is. Do you think it might possibly have been suicide? Barnes shook his head. I shouldn't think so, sir. For starters, if he'd done himself in, the gun should be somewhere right here. He pointed to the area around the body. And we've looked, sir, it's not. I see what you mean. Suicides don't generally hide the gun after they've used it. 
Witherspoon pursed his lips and stepped back to survey the scene. The walls were decorated with nice but unimaginative paintings of hunting scenes and wildlife. There was a decent but well-worn camel-coloured turkey carpet on the floor, and terracotta-coloured muslin summer curtains hung at the windows overlooking the back garden. To one side of the chair where the victim reclined was a settee upholstered in thick navy blue cloth. A fully loaded tea trolley stood at the far end of the settee. A dark-coloured cape with a large sliver missing was next to a pink and white rose teapot. Two dessert plates, both used, two forks and two cups and saucers testified to the presence of two people. Barnes grimaced. Seems wrong, doesn't it, sir? Sitting down and having tea with someone you're planning on killing.